Well, all right then. Anybody want to do a uh, trust fall with uh, Jacob? <laughs> yeah. Actually, I, I like trust falls. I did a trust fall once off a six-foot platform in a show. It was, <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was cool. It was fun. And the guy said, you want to practice this? I said, no. Why would I want to do it twice? Let's just do it once. But anyway, uh, okay, good morning. Uh, it's been mentioned several times that next Sunday we'll be back in the house. And let me just say, um, you know, infection rates are increasing in Tennessee. And... Um, we're aware of that, and it is a real thing. You know, with, with things opening back up, uh, it's a real thing. And if you didn't see this coming, then you were just listening to too much commercial talk radio. Uh, did I just say that out loud? Good, I intended to say that out loud. Uh, we, we're also aware, however, that while there are legitimate concerns that there are those who are just just really eager to be back in the house and who are going, you know, I go to the grocery, I go to the mall, I go to uh, the restaurant, you know, why can't I, why can't I go to church? Uh, and so, uh, you know, we get it. I, I get both sides from that. I, I, I understand that completely. We're going to reopen next week, but if you have any reservations about coming, then stay home and live stream. I mean, you know, you, you, you kind of got into that mode. You can do that, and it's okay. Nobody's, nobody's going to go, well, you know, you, you stayed home. Listen, let me just say, don't judge either side. Because when you, when you look at somebody and go, well, they're wearing a mask, or they didn't stay home, or they stayed home because they're afraid, or you don't know that. You're just saying what your own motives would be. Uh, and when you look at somebody who's not wearing a mask, you go, well, they just don't care about people. You don't know that. You don't know that. So don't, don't judge each other. We won't, be, we won't be doing that. We'll honor those who wish to come and wear a mask and wish to social distance. And, um, but we're not going to be able to require that of everyone. So just let me, just let me say that up front. You say, well, what, what would you do? You know, if I weren't the senior pastor, I don't know what I'd do. Uh, but since I am the senior pastor, I don't really have a choice. I will be here. And, uh, and I, I, I'm still thinking about whether or not I'll have a mask on when we're, when we're in the congregation. Uh, so anyway, we, we can't, and we also can't guarantee that we won't roll back and go to just live streaming uh, if the infection rates continue to shoot up. But next week, we're going to give it a run. We're going we're gonna to be here. We're going to worship the Lord together, and, and it's, it's going to be good. I, I'm excited to see you guys as well. All right, let's jump right into this. I've already taken up three minutes of my time that I didn't have to, uh, to spare. Would you stand with me? And let's read a couple of passages of Scripture that are not from Jeremiah, but they're going to tie in to what we're going to talk about. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. <clears throat> For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Let me just take a second here and go. You can quibble with that reasoning if you want to, but I didn't write that. The Holy Spirit did. And so I'm just going to go with it and say that's right. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 
Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life and the power and the the direction and the wisdom that are in your word. I pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us hearts to understand, that we would receive from you today so that we might become like you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated in your PJs or whatever it is that you happen to be, happen to be wearing. Few Christians <clears throat> have ever bothered to read the book of Jeremiah. I mean, how, how many of you have ever read the book of Jeremiah? If I were to, uh, you know, if I, if I were to get a, a legitimate response to that, I, maybe 10% uh, of people who claim to be Christians. And, <clears throat> and, and I think there's some reason for that. I mean, for one thing, like the other prophets, it, it takes more than one reading to really get it. You know, the first time through, I don't know how many times I've read the book of Jeremiah, but I do know that the first time through, I didn't get all that much. And maybe the second time or the third time, but eventually it really began to start to start flowing. So it's just too much work. And so that's why a lot of Christians don't read it. And that's unfortunate because there are stories in Jeremiah. These, these are, these are great stories. Most most Christians know a few stories from Genesis, and maybe they know some stories from Samuel, 1st, 2nd Samuel. They might know some stories from Kings. There are stories in Jeremiah, and these stories like these, <coughs> excuse me, stories like these make boys and girls grow up to stand strong and walk, walk straight as men and women. And it'll also take men and women who, who have some trouble walking straight and standing strong, and it and and put some wisdom, put some backbone in them. True ladies and gentlemen, not, not phony pretenders hiding behind slogans and, and make-believe righteousness, but these stories will actually put some calcium in your, in your spiritual bones. You may not like what you hear today. <laughs> uh, so what's new? But, but I'm, I'm going to tell you one of these stories, and I'm going to explain it to you. Now, there are three characters uh, in this story, and who you admire and why you admire them says a lot about you and about who you are. Uh, the story plays out in chapters 37 and 38 of uh, <clears throat> Jeremiah, but it actually starts in chapter 32 when Jeremiah buys a field in Anatoth from his cousin Hanamel. And I plan to cover that passage next week, so I'm not going to talk anything about that. But, uh, but that's, that's where it starts. He's bought a piece of property, and uh, in short, he bought a field when such a purchase looked foolish. I mean, Judah was invaded by the armies of Babylon, and they, they had uh, the city surrounded and under siege, and it didn't look like the government was going to stand very long. And how many of you know that land deeds are only good as long as the government's good? I mean, as the government changes, they may not care what the last government said about your, about your land deed. But uh, the reason that Jeremiah bought this piece of property, I, look, this is crazy talk, folks. He bought the piece of property because God told him to. It wasn't because of uh, statistical analysis or, uh, you know, tax breaks or this was a good time to buy. No, in fact, God told him beforehand, he said, your cousin, Hanamel, is going to come and ask you to buy a piece of property. And when he does, buy it. And so that's why he did it. Well, later, the forces of Babylon that had been surrounding the city temporarily 
withdrew, and people are leaving the city, and Jeremiah goes to leave the city so that he can go out and, and look at this piece of property that he's bought. But there was a guard at the gate. Uh, the guard's name was Elijah. And when he sees Jeremiah in the crowd that's leaving, he stops him, and he, uh, he arrests him. He claims, you're going over to the Babylonians. And Jeremiah goes, no, I'm not going over to the Babylonians, but, but he, he is arrested. Elijah arrests him. He takes him to officials. They have him beaten. They have him thrown into prison. And while he is falsely in prison, uh, Jeremiah is sent for by the king, Zedekiah. And Zedekiah comes and asks Jeremiah if he has a word for him from the Lord. And Jeremiah does. Uh, make a long story short, Jeremiah is sent back to prison. Guess the king didn't like the word, huh? Uh, he's sent back to prison, and he's thrown into a cistern. And it's a dry cistern, but it's, it's muddy. So he's, he's down in the cistern, and he's sinking down, and he's going to die there. And finally, this, this uh, official named Abed-Melech, he was an Ethiopian, Ethiopian, he rescues Jeremiah from the pit in which he is thrown. Now, that's the story. So let's look at the characters for just a minute. And the first character is, is the guard, Elijah, son of Shelemiah. Everybody say Shelemiah. See, it's easy. Just read Jeremiah. You can, you can do it. Jeremiah was unpopular. And in fact, that's kind of putting it mildly to say that he was unpopular. He was unpopular in this wartime setting. And, and, and instead of uh, facing the pressing issues that Jeremiah was bringing up, there was misdirection. Misdirection is when there is a, an issue that needs to be dealt with and somebody's saying, let's deal with that issue. And somebody else is saying, squirrel. Now, there's, there's another issue over here. Let, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about this. Peterson uh, in Run With the Horses, which is um, the book we've kind of been going through as, as we do this series, has a quote that I'm going to put up. And, you know, you might, you might not like it. I endorse the quote. But if you don't like it, it wasn't me who said it. It was Eugene Peterson, and he's dead. So there's that. But he says this, patriotism was used to muddle the sense of morality. Our country is being attacked and we must be loyal to it. Any seeming disloyalty is an act of treachery. This was clearly not Jeremiah. Anyone who knew him knew that he was obviously not a, a bystander criticizing he wasn't a turncoat propagandizing. He was an insider agonizing over what was going on. He, he, was, he was pointing out legitimate things, but they were things that people didn't want to hear. You know, so a, a lot of times people think if, you aren't, if you're not on the cheering squad, if you're not one of the cheerleaders for yay us, then you're against us. That's not true. Sometimes the people who love the most are the ones who have some hard things to say. You know, you really have to love somebody to say something hard in love. 
<laughs> you know, anybody can just throw criticisms out, but to say something hard in love and go, look, you know, I, I love you, but you need to deal with this. It's what Jeremiah was doing. Why did Elijah do this? Why did Elijah um, arrest him? And I don't know. There, there's, there could be several reasons. I, I won't judge him because I don't know his heart. Uh, one of the reasons could be what I call the Barney Fife syndrome. When we were, uh, when we were in Zimbabwe in the, in the mid-80s, uh, oftentimes the, the people there who had spent a couple of centuries under a very oppressive governmental system would say of officials, you know, sometimes officials want you to feel them, want you to feel how important they are. And so that's why they're doing the things they're doing. And, 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 and to me, it reminds me of Barney Fife. You know, it's really kind of really pathetic. It's really kind of sad. Uh, they want you to feel them because they don't feel important. Uh, they need you to validate the fact that they are. If Jeremiah was deserting to the Babylonians, as Elijah said, would that have been a bad thing? I mean, seriously, he's one guy. And he, it's not like he was Iron Man or anything. He, he wasn't going to turn the tide of, of the battle. And it wasn't like he was so popular that a whole bunch of people were going to go with him. Uh, in fact, I've kind, of, I've kind of discovered that if you've got somebody in-house who's really discontent and who's really uh, uh, stirring things up all the time, it's not a bad thing necessarily to see them go. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't know if that would have been a bad thing. But with no evidence and, and no reason other than the fact that he didn't like what Jeremiah had to say. He had him beaten and he had him in prison. Well, perhaps Elijah wasn't, wasn't truly evil maybe, or, or wicked. Maybe he was only doing his job. I got another Peterson quote. I mean, he's got some great ones in this chapter. Uh, yeah, and this one I fully endorse, and in fact, I wish I had said it. But here's what he says. Elijah was a man who used his job to escape his responsibilities as a person. I'm just going to pause for a second. Every day, people are hurt and demeaned by others, office holders, authorities, those over them, who refuse to look them in the eye, shielding behind regulations and paperwork and secretaries and committees, and I'm just, just, just doing my job. But you are responsible as a moral individual, regardless of what your job is. You know, if you're a, uh, if you, if you're a garbage collector, if you're a, uh, a teacher, if you're a, uh, if you're a policeman, a politician, a preacher, doesn't matter what you are, you are responsible as a moral individual. The older I get, the more I realize how much love matters. You know, I, I really am not all that concerned with where you stand on issues. They're just issues. I, I, I'm really not all that concerned 
necessarily with what your theology is. Because if you don't love, it doesn't matter. It's not based on love and true concern for others. Love matters. Okay, so Elijah, uh, candidate number one for hero of the story. <laughs> I may have been a little biased in my presentation. And then, and then King Zedekiah comes along. King Zedekiah was a weak leader. And he wasn't necessarily a weak leader because of the circumstances that were going on or even what ended up happening. I mean, sometimes circumstances are hard for, for strong leaders. But he was a weak leader, and, and there's really no questioning this, uh, first of all, because he was, he was chiefly concerned about himself rather than, rather than those that he was charged with leading. Whether, whether you were right or whether you were wrong or whether you were godly or ungodly was secondary to what you thought about Zedekiah, what you had to say about him. That was the most important thing to him. And that's a weak leader. He comes and he says, is there a word from the Lord for me? Uh, well, the Lord had already given him a word. In fact, <clears throat> excuse me, back before Jeremiah was arrested, uh, he, said, he said this, look, the Babylonian army, they, they've gone away now. Don't think they're going to stay away. They're not. In fact, the Egyptian, the reason that they, the reason that they left was because Egypt marched, marched out against them. Egypt, did I say Egypt? Yeah. Okay, I thought I might have said Easter or something. But, okay, e Egypt marked, marched out against them. And so they, they withdrew from the city to go and engage the Egyptians. And he said, they're coming back. Egypt isn't going to engage them. They're going to go back, and the, and the Babylonians are going to come back here and surround this city again. So don't think this is all over because it's not. And in fact, they're going to destroy this city. They're going to burn it down, and they're going to, they're going to take everyone into captivity that doesn't die. That, that was already the word from the Lord. And so now he's been put into prison, and Zedekiah comes and goes, is there a word from the Lord like it's going to change or something? Sometimes we just don't listen. You think? <laughs> I, I, I know I don't. And Jeremiah goes, yes, there is a word from the Lord. You will be handed over to the king of Babylon. So, you know, you've been in prison and you still haven't changed your mind about me. <laughs> well, you see, it wasn't about, a word from the Lord is not about changing your mind. A word from the Lord is about whatever the Lord had said. Uh, there's probably the worst king, you might be aware of a man named Ahab, who was one of the kings of Israel. And there's a, there's a situation where there's a prophet, Micaiah, and uh, he's asked to bring in a prophet of the Lord. And he says, well, yeah, there's this guy, Micaiah, but I don't like him because he never says anything good about me. Yeah. And that's kind of where Zedekiah was. And that's what a weak leader is. He was also a weak leader because you couldn't count on him. It, 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 sometimes he would have qualms of, of conscience, and he'd call Jeremiah in for a consultation, and for a brief time, he'd pay attention to, to the prophetic word of the Lord. But nothing lasted very long with Zedekiah. 
I mean, what, what, he, what he said today might carry no weight tomorrow, might be completely changed tomorrow. He was on again, off again about Jeremiah. In, in fact, you know, when Jeremiah was put into prison, yeah, yeah, that's okay. And then when he, when he goes to see him, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm really on your side. Uh, yeah, well, but now you can go back to prison again. And then, um, and, and then, he, then he got called to him again. Uh, to, to bring a word from the Lord and still wasn't what he wanted. And so he ends up letting him be thrown into the cistern. And then later on, he gives orders to take him out of the cistern. I, you know, he's just, you know, we used to, back in the day, when I say back in the day, that, that gets farther and farther away each year. But back in the day, there used to be a, a, a thing about uh, waffling. Oh, this person's a waffler. They... You know, you never, you never know what to go. You don't hear about that anymore because it just seems like waffling's okay now. Uh, but it's really not. Uh, he was on again, off again about Jeremiah, and he was, he was afraid. He was afraid of what's going to happen to me. Peterson says Zedekiah shows that good intentions are worthless if they are not coupled with character development. We somehow stopped caring about character at some point along the way. And I was thinking this last week, when did that happen? I'm not sure, but it's clearly happened. All right, candidate number two for a hero in the story. <clears throat> Once again, I may be a little biased in my presentation. And then comes the, the official Ebed Melech, uh, Jeremiah had been thrown into this cistern to die. But, and another Peterson quote here that I just love, in fact, it may be my favorite one in this entire chapter. He says, Not everyone in Jerusalem was just doing their job. Not everybody in Jerusalem was just grinding it out and doing whatever. Some people still considered themselves to be responsible, moral individuals. There were many reasons for this guy to keep quiet. He was a foreigner. He was a, he was a Cushite. When, and, and as such, as a foreigner, he didn't, have, he didn't have the rights. He didn't have the standing of citizens. When we were uh, in Zimbabwe in the mid-80s and I was teaching in the Bible school there, the students loved this guy. I mean, he was, he, every time he, he got mentioned, there were cheers that would come up uh, from the classroom, uh, you know, because, because he was African and there wasn't a whole lot in, in the scripture about that. But Ebed Melek, yeah, okay, there was, there, was, there was cheering. He was going against popular opinion. In, in, in a crisis that was hysterical on a war footing. You just, you just don't get on that side. And yet he did. He could lose his job. He, he, could, he could end up in that cistern beside Jeremiah for doing this. He, he could end up in the pit. And you know what? He could have just sympathized with Jeremiah. He could have just went, you know, man, that's such a shame what they're doing to Jeremiah. Man, I... I think Jeremiah's right. You know, I'm, I'm on Jeremiah's side. He could have just sympathized with him and done nothing. 
But what was happening was not right. And so he comes and he says, my Lord, the king, these men have acted wickedly in all that they've done to Jeremiah the prophet. They've thrown him into this cistern and, and he's, gonna, he's going to die there. Something needs to be done about it. And he got permission. He got, you know, like Zedekiah, he got permission to, to take 30 men and, and pull Jeremiah out of the cistern and that is what he did. Actions, not just words. Okay, so <clears throat> who do you admire in this story? You know, who's, uh, uh, who, who's, who's your hero? Contestant number one, contestant number two, contestant number three. If you were Jeremiah, who would you admire? Who would you want on your side? The king? The guard? Or the foreign official in town. You know, um, let me ask you a question. This may seem like a non sequitur because it is. Uh, who was the Secretary of State after Hillary Clinton? Ah, no, nobody shouted out anything. You know, it's not a big crowd here, okay? I'm just being honest. But uh, <clears throat> it, was, it was John Kerry. And uh, you, I, I doubt that half the people listening today would know who the Secretary of State was before Mike Pompeo, assuming you know that Mike Pompeo is the Secretary of State. Uh, I, I doubt that half the people would. Secretary of State is an important position, people. I mean, next to the president, that's, that's as, if you're from a foreign country, that's the top of the, top of the food chain. And yet, we don't necessarily know who, who they are. A uh, couple of more Peterson quotes before we get out. It says, only a few people make the historical headlines, but anyone can become human. You see, uh, just because you have an important position doesn't make you an important person. Anyone can, is it possible to be great when you're taking out the garbage as well as when you're signing a peace treaty? Is it possible to exhibit grace in your conduct in the kitchen as well as in a nationally televised debate? Whew. See, the question isn't so much, who am I? You know, when I was uh, um, in my 20s, uh, I don't know why that's funny, but it is. Uh, when I was in my 20s and my teens and stuff, it's pretty popular to go, who am I? You know. Uh, but you, you learn that's not really the question. The question isn't who am I? The question is who do I want to be? What will I choose to become? Who do I choose to be? See, you can't choose to be Secretary of State. I mean, you've got to get appointed to that position. But you can choose if you're going to be someone who hides behind a job description or someone who's only concerned with their own welfare, their own security, or if you're going to be someone who becomes truly human, fully human by truly caring about others, regardless of their age or their, or their race or their nationality or whether they agree with you or not, 
about things, that's where you become truly human. Here is the word of the Lord. Love one another as God has loved you. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. And by, by the way, whoever tries to get around this by parsing certain words, brother, sister, hates, is just being slick. We should not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You have been called to be real, to be human. That is significant. That is important. That is the step required to become like God.